Welcome back to the Ghost Cult Magazine podcast. I'm your host, Keefe. Today's podcast is an interview between DJ Astro Creep and Tal Arbuscato of a pale horse named Death. Check it out. Okay, I'm backstage in Birmingham Academy now with Sal Arbuscato. So, an absolute pleasure to meet you today, Sal. Likewise. Thank you for being here, too. Yeah, uh, your new album came out uh, a couple of months ago, middle of January, wasn't it? Yeah, is that going to be a problem? Uh, your new album came out a couple of months ago. Yes. Uh, I've noticed each with each album you've changed the sound a little bit, like a bit more edge to it. Uh huh. Has that been a deliberate thing, or just that just been as a I would say this the change is deliberate because um, it changed along with a member change. Um, you know, the first two albums, you know. Uh, I did with Matt Brown. He did the we did the production together. We worked together, and when when I reactivated and we decided to, it was time to come back and do a new album. Uh, Matt was no longer. We asked him three times. Didn't want to be in a band no more. I was like, and and so we were like, okay. So uh, of course Eric here is he's the basis of the band, Eric Morgan, and, and he, he's an engineer as well. So we decided, you know what? Let's just try something new and team up together the way I teamed up with Matt. And let's um, let's make a record together and try some things that we couldn't do when I was doing them with Matt, which was one of them was we wanted to be a little bit more grittier and darker and or like almost of a kind of like a 70s analog kind of bass low-end push. And then the other interesting thing was was that Eric brought up to me that he would really love to do like the soundscapes where it was cinematic, more of a cinematic experience. And I was all I was all for it. And in fact he wrote three of them on there on the record. Three of them are his. And and it was great because we um we could you keep that close? And and we, we we just went with it and we went for it and, and you know and it was a big undertaking and 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 i didn't know what to exp- how it was going to all turn out but yeah. the ideas were great and uh that was definitely what was the change was the approach to the production the fact that it was no longer it was produced by me and eric instead of me and matt mm-hmm. and um then at the same time i think the material m- maybe I guess it progressed, you know, uh, in a certain way. And um, those are probably, and they're all positive changes because I didn't know what to expect, but hearing people come to me and say, this is the best one of the three, I'm like, really? Okay, cool. You know, I didn't know what to expect when, when, before the record came out. So I'm really happy at, of the reception that the record has had and that all the fans have approved. And, and, and now there's new fans that love it too, that are hearing this record. And then they're like, wait a minute, they have three records, you know, holy crap. And then they start, they're starting to look at our, you know, I guess the back catalog. Cause we had a, a four to five year space, okay. you know, uh, from one record to the next. Yeah. So, uh, I think that's what's changed. I mean, we've grown, I, I guess my approach as well has kind of uh, matured, but it's still the same the way I approach it. But you know, uh, we just evolve, evolve. And I, and I think we evolve for the better because the band, I think is as best as in the best position it could be in, you know, right now we, we, cause then of course when Matt didn't, you know, Matt was also one of the guitarists. So we replaced Matt last year with Joe Taylor, who just stuck his head in before. Yeah. 
Joe Taylor, along with Eddie, is an amazing guitarist. I mean, he's just phenomenal. He's worked with, for many years with Lita Ford, Doro. You know, he's been around the block, this guy. He's a professional. Yeah. And um, his addition to the band has been great because he's so chill. But when he picks up the guitar, like, you would look at him and you wouldn't think, like, you'd think he's a, you know, he's just, like, behind the scenes. You know, he's, like, laid back. He's on stage. He is a phenomenal, uh, definitely one of the best guitarists I've worked with, you know. And I consider myself fortunate to have such great musicians in the band. And that's what sets this band apart from a lot of the things I've done in the past is the, the level of musicianship is just... Um, I mean, it's, it's one thing to have like one great guitarist that does lead, but to have two that can fucking, uh, you'll see tonight yeah, when yeah. we, we do a jam and those two get to show their showcase, their playing. Mm -hmm. It's it's great. It's wonderful. And then, and then we show what the band is capable of doing and we're having a blast and we're so happy to be back. Honestly, I consider us blessed and grateful that we had the opportunity that we could pull it off to come back. And I think this is going to lead to more things because now I'm hearing about other possibilities like you know damnation festival and leeds at the end of the year or whatever whenever that is in yeah, november, november yeah. and and so um I, I think everyone needed to see that it was real that we're back yeah and now that we're on tour and all the press and the the reviews and the magazine it's real we're back so yeah. and we never really went away 100 percent, but it's just that i was dealing with a lot of turmoil and personal things in my life Along with the fact that I was having resistance from Matt Brown, he, he was very difficult and it was always like, okay, forget about it, I'll, we'll see next year. And then and it would, one year would go by, another year would go by. And, and I was getting letters from fans saying, what happened, you know, what are you doing? Uh, you know, when are you gonna come back? We're waiting for another record. Lay My Soul to Waste was awesome. The first one was awesome. And you can hear the progression, even in the songwriting, yeah. even in the vocals, because I quit smoking two years ago, so vocally I'm stronger. And uh, I think it's all positive right now. We're having a blast. We're really having a good time. I love these guys, and we're a family, and the camaraderie is just brilliant. Maybe one thing I noticed there, uh, well, from my own point of view, listening to like the lyrics and such, in addition to music, was it seems quite personal but relatable at the same time. Uh -huh. like, like, Dreams at the end was one of the ones that stuck out in particular for me. Uh -huh. It's a, uh, it's, it's that we just said that there's a lot more kind of view in it in that way. Uh, is that, is that deliberate or is it just with everything else you've had going on with your personal stuff that you've mentioned elsewhere? You know, I just decided to let it pour out. Um, I've had some personal things going on in my life that also... Uh, I mean, you know, I always knew, I, like, I had a doctor in 2007. My doctor told me officially in 2017 that I was a manic depressant. And... Um, the, I always knew that my whole life, but the thing is, is then in 2017, I got diagnosed with, with a monoclonal gammopathy, which is a precursor to myeloma. And I just had in January bone marrow biopsy. Okay, okay right after my release on the 31st, I had to go through bone marrow biopsy because I get screened every three months. And my, my specialist was like, you know, you're starting to spike again. We got to know for sure if, if there's something brewing right now, we got to get to it, you know, yeah. preventive, you know, whatever. Yeah. Fortunately, we did the bone marrow biopsy. I came up where I was in the safe zone. Okay, great. That means I can, I can carry on for now and else 
get tested again in August. But uh, uh, that was one of the things. The other issue is is that when lay my soul to waste, not issue, but what happened in my life was in, in, when lay my soul to waste came out in 2013. Uh, my second daughter was born. She was born disabled, and that changed my life. Yeah, as a father. Yeah, and as a husband to my wife because my wife works relentlessly day and night for my kids and um, that changed things where it made me not want to leave home and it's taken me a long time to muster up and I was going away with other bands little trips but um, you know last year when I was doing this record my wife gave me a kick in the ass she says you better get back out there you're miserable and you're driving me crazy <laughs> you know, she's awesome yeah. and you know most women we would be like stay home don't do this but she said you, you this is what you do yeah. and I tried being a normal person I'm a fish out of water I don't fit in society at all really I, I can't do anything corporate I can't wear a suit I'm just very much um, a, a nomad in my, when it comes to society. I'm a lone wolf. I don't follow nobody. And so those kind of things happen in my life that I let out in my words. But the way I write is, is I don't write so specific where it's like I'm writing about this is my problem and I'm this and I, 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 I. I don't use the word I as that much. I try to put it in a way where it's open to interpretation where if you were listening to it you all of a sudden you'd be like wow man that sounds like how I felt the other day or wow that sounds like something that happened in my family or or yeah you know because I, I have a battle in my mind where recently in the recent months I've been a lot healthier in my mind but I have this battle where even I was going through it last year my kids keep me alive yeah. I battle suicidal thoughts all the time mm -hmm. I battle I'm intrigued by suicide. I'm intrigued by death. I'm guilty of that. I am always a little curious. I find it fascinating how I think people say people are weak that commit suicide, but I feel that it takes an enormous amount of courage too. That is a heavy decision. Yeah. So it intrigues me and it, it kind of pulls me in a little bit in a, in a dangerous way. And, and if I didn't have my children, and my wife, I, I don't know what I, where I'd be right now because I, I get so depressed and I had like literally last year, a whole year of people trying to destroy my, my career. And uh, I, I was, I thought I was done, has been. I, I think I, I don't, I can't function. How am I gonna take care of this one and that one? But my kids need a dad. And yeah, I would be dead in the ground and wouldn't know nothing, right? But my kids would be living a life of like, Got, where's, where's my dad you know I got no dad got no dad to take me like you know take a prom picture with or I have three daughters so you know I, I'm, I'm, they're all my princesses and, and you know I, they need daddy and, and my wife needs me and, and so I can't be selfish that way um, but it's something that I battle because uh, uh, I feel very I could be in a room full of people but I feel very alone in my mind and uh Lately, I've been snapped out of it more and more, and I'm happy. I'm starting to feel good things and positive because this helps me. This is therapy for me. Yeah. When I'm on stage screaming, it's therapy. It's it's a release for you. It's a freaking release. And um, so that's why the record strikes a, a, a more personal chord. <laughs> yeah, first record had, I was angry about an ex-wife. 
you know, second record, I was angry about a couple other things, but that was more anger. Um, Sleeping Death on a second record touched a little bit on, on suicide, but uh, this record was more, uh, you know, like the song Splinters. Mm-hmm. Splinters is very deep because actually the first lines, I don't really, I haven't told any interview with this, but when I was, when I was 10, I was in sleepaway camp and I had three men try to rape me in sleepaway camp and it fucked me up for my life, for the rest of my life. I was in counseling. I was a fucking violent teenager. And splinters, you know, when I say the lines long ago, I was scarred forever. Yesterday I was hurt forever. It was shit like that coming out of me because I never really spoke about it publicly. I didn't even tell my, my mom and dad did not know until I was 30. I told them when I turned 30, what happened. They didn't understand why their son came home and was like having all these problems and violence. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden at school, I, I just, <laughs> but, um, that's how I got into music though, too. That started saving me because at age 11 and I started playing drums and that helped me get through that. But that's the kind of shit I dealt with. And I'm okay with talking about it now because I think it's more, uh, it's important to put put things out there, I guess, so people understand me a little better because sometimes people don't understand me, why I am the way I am sometimes, or why am I cynical, or I don't trust everybody right away. <sighs> So shit like that. So, and I don't have no problem putting it into words because I feel if I can put it into words, there's someone in that room that has felt something like that too. Yeah. That they, something happened to them yeah. or happened to someone they know. Yeah. And and that's why I, I, I don't, I don't censor what I talk about or, or myself. So the, the red record is very deep and personal in that way. It's well, We've unfortunately lost a, a few big names over the last few years to that kind of urge. Chris Cornell, yeah, just about yeah. to Keith Flint this year, very recently. Yeah. And see uh, people smiling, but behind a smile, like Robin Williams, you know, yeah. you know, he's smiling, but it's 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 underneath is something else going on, you know. Yeah, it's a, it's everyone has their, you know, people have. A, there's a lot of fucked up shit out there, you know, and people yeah. have things that have happened to them or feelings that have happened to them that, you know, you can't shake it off and sometimes you just give up. Mm. And when they're at their weakest, there's no one around to kind of catch it yeah. and be like, whoa, he's acting a little bit. I'm going to stay over tonight or I'm going to talk, take him out to dinner and, and see what's bugging. You know, like the, the, sometimes we, we don't know how to call out for intervention. Mm. And it's having the people that can see through the facade that you may be putting up. Yeah, exactly. And going off that, because that's obviously a very personal mm-hmm. thing for yourself. Yeah. You obviously started off in typo on the drums and you're now a front man with guitar. So has that been an easy change for yourself? Uh, how it all started was this whole idea was like a studio album idea. Okay. I was always a... Uh, and in the bathroom kind of singer, you know, and, and but the thing is, is like, I kind of got tired of uh, maybe hoping to find a singer that could do what I was looking to do kind of thing. And then I felt like, well, I'm tired of joining bands and doing what somebody else wants to do. I had this idea, had a, I had music I was recording and originally the idea started out as, okay, we'll have some some couple of guests on the record, studio record, and that was it. But then kind of one thing led to another where 
I didn't have a band put together. It was just me and Matt helped me record it. And then the agent, an agent that I know asked me, do you want to do a show? And I was like, what do you mean? Do I want to do a show? Do you want to get you on a show? I'm like, what show? He's like, well, you want to open up for Monster Magnet? Do a show opening up for them. I'm like, no shit. When? Oh, in six weeks. (laughs) I literally shit myself. Nothing like a bit of notice. (laughs) I didn't even have a band put together. So here we go. I called Eric. Bobby Handball from Biohazard did a guest appearance on the record. So I called him up. He lived in Florida. I was like, Bobby, dude, can you come and learn the songs? I, we got I we gotta do a show. Do you wanna do it? And he was he was down, he did it. And then a few months prior, I was at Johnny's house. He was having like a little barbecue or something earlier that year. Uh, uh it was in the late summer. And uh I had a disc with me. And so he was like, oh, you know, he was curious. He was curious about what I was doing. And he was like, oh, you know, put it on. So we put it on and listen, he was like, you know, everything all cool. And then, so when I talked to him a few days later, I mean, he was like, you know, that's really, it's really good stuff. You know, um, you're gonna do, go live with it. And I was like, I don't know. This was before they asked me about the show. And he goes, well, if you do put a band together, he goes, you know what? I'd love to, I'd love to play on it. And I was like, really? And then I started thinking, I was like, wow. Wow, and that would come off, you know? I'm the, form, I'm the former drummer typo. He was the drummer typo. Mm-hmm. A band made up of two drummers typo. This might go good, you know? And then, so I called him when they asked me about the show. He was down and we started practicing and, and started, you know, and, and, and we, we hurried up and rushed. And I was literally shitting my pants when I had to go in front of this sold out place with Monster Magnet and open up for them. And, um, you know, people were supportive. You know, obviously I wasn't a, I wasn't as good as I would be today, but I was nervous and it was my first time. I had to break the ice. Yeah, as a front runner. Yeah. I had to break the ice and I gotta say, it's a hard job. I'm, I, I, I learned a new respect for singers, of course. And uh, and it was, but it, it went good. And one thing to another, and you know, SPV picked up the first record, they put it out. And um, we went to Europe for a couple of weeks, it went really well. Then we did another tour in Europe that was like five weeks long. That went really well. And it kind of, and of course, going on the road is like boot camp when you're a singer because you got to yeah. sing every day and you got to take care of yourself. Yeah. So that I also was learning about my abilities and how to um, not. Of course, in the very beginning on tour, I blew myself out, and then that's how you learn what not to do. Um, and it just went from there. And then I just was really. Uh, I was surprised too how people were kind of embracing me as like, I went from the drums, I had a reputation as a drummer and then I come out in the front and uh, and I started having fun. And I started, uh, I started seeing how passionate people started becoming about the music. Mm-hmm. Then I started hearing people tell me how the music is helping them. Yeah. And I'm a giver more than a taker, and it makes me feel really good. And 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 to even, I've, I've had people tear up and hug me, saying how I saved their life, you know, and things like that. And that, for me, 
gives me the the validity gives me the, the 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 what tells me what my purpose is and mm-hmm. and and because i'm not afraid when i'm on stage i don't put on a fake act like some guys do you know some guys put uh put the tough guy act some guys put this act i go up and i wear my heart on my sleeves mm-hmm. i tell i say whatever the fuck i'm feeling at that moment mm-hmm. i tell the people the truth i give them my words of wisdom on how to be safe and love each other and take care of yourselves, you know, because as doom and gloom and depressing this music is, there's a thread of life and, and yeah. brightness yeah. and you hear it in the melodies. The, the continuation. The continuation that with darkness, there's light yeah. and with light, there's darkness. There's the yin, there's the yang, there's Satan, there's God. You're going through hell in life, but you got to find that thread of light and 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 be po- try to be positive and continue, and and fight it and tr- keep trucking as they say, <laughs> and, and 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 yeah, I, I enjoy like okay, I'll give you a perfect example because it made my my wife's heart melt last night. I'm on stage, and I look on the corner and I see a girl. She's in a wheelchair. Now my daughter's in a wheelchair. Yeah, I see her. She's singing all the words and rocking out and headbanging and enjoying herself. Mm-hmm. And it made me emotional. And I put my guitar down and I got the fuck off stage and I walked up to her and I gave her a pick and I hugged her. And I, I and then I got on a mic and I said, you are an inspiration. I said, my daughter is in a wheelchair. She's six years old and I could, and if she's in that wheelchair her whole life, I want. I hope to see her be like you one day and go and enjoy herself and have have a great time at a show, you know. And then after the show, I saw her again and I, I, I and she was tearing up. I made her. I made her night. But you know what? That's what I do. I look for the misfits, the ones that are hurting in the audience, and I single them out. Mm-hmm. And I gravitate. For some reason, I gravitate to the weak and the pain, the ones in pain. And I have a big heart. And if I could help you I will and if it means talking and hanging out for a minute and that's going to make you feel you know I'll do whatever it is but I will definitely express to you how grateful I am for you coming and even seeing us play so I like reciprocating I believe it's a two way street these asshole rock stars that go up on stage thinking they're better than fucking anybody else and think they're hot shit they're the ones I'll piss on because you may think you're hot today, but you're nothing tomorrow. You have to show, I mean, you gotta love your fans. You gotta, you gotta love them because without them, you're nothing. And these people that think they got, they don't got the time of day for people and they think their shit don't stink. Yeah, you know, fuck them. I don't care who it is. I'll tell them, I'll tell them right to their face. You know, I don't give a shit. So. You're not. A, you're you're providing a service when you're up there. You're supposed to be a lifesaver. It's at the beach, you know. You're supposed to give. You're not supposed to take. You're supposed to give. That's what an artist is. You're giving your art to the people. You're giving your words of love and wisdom, or whatever it is. You're supposed to be there to help people forget the fucking horrors of life, whether it's a shitty job or their mother died or they got divorced. You're supposed to pull them out of the hole. That's your job. They're not supposed to be there worshiping you like you're a god. Two-way street, and that's how I look at it. I'm like the blue-collar rock star, and I'm not a rock star, I'm just a blue. My hands, you know, uh, I, 
I'm not like, you know, I'm a worker. I'm a hands-on guy. You know, I, I don't believe in this people thinking they're special and holy and stuff. I don't like that shit. You know, I'm from the earth and I'm going to go back to the earth one day. And that's it. You know, I think especially in these days, because social media has made bands of band members almost constantly accessible oh, yeah, for yeah. fans. Yeah, yeah, That you kind of have to have that level of integration, certainly these days, more than maybe when you first started out with Typo. Yeah, it didn't exist that back then, yeah. this stuff. This stuff that I hate. It, I, I like, I, I know it's good, but sometimes I hate it. Yeah, the, the constant. There's a lot of keyboard warriors. Everyone has an opinion. Everyone's a tough guy, you know, just trolling, whatever, yeah. you know, people are mean. More mean on the, you know, especially if you see like something on Blabbermouth, you know, forget it. (laughs) (laughs) At least they don't tear me apart, so I'm thankful for that. It's the whole kind of rock metal old guard that kind of changing at the moment with Sabbath retired a couple of years ago. Slayer doing the The final 150th leg of the last ever world tour. Which kind of bands do you think are likely to step up into these big headline spots and from your know, I don't know. You know, I consider Metallica the last of the big anthem stadium bands. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's next, dude, because music. Now, listen, it takes money to put on these shows. It takes yeah. a lot of money just to even come in a van in Europe, you know? So um, the fact that people don't buy records. The fact that people don't leave the house and watch shows on YouTube and, uh, and don't bother to go out and buy tickets. Like I was saying to somebody the other day, I was like, I, I started, I came to Europe in 1991, right? Touring with Typo. And I remember back then that, that all you had to say back then was you were a band from New York and you would pack the place <laughs> yeah. because people didn't get the kind of music that we had going on in America. Yeah. But now here in Europe, there's a fucking band playing every night somewhere and it's kind of become very Americanized here where they've become very complacent where it's like, ah, I'll, uh, you know, they, people don't come out. Even if it's a great band, you know, uh, people are lazy now. You have this young generation that just sits on the Xbox, the computer, they, it's, it's sad. It's sad. They're not living anymore. Everyone's become some cyborg shithead with their phone, you know? So I wish it was like the old days because I'm, I think I'm the last of the generation that we sold records Yeah, from the nineties. Rather than the, the stream based things that a lot of things are now. It's fucked up, man. Dude, I get my streaming royalties and it's like, I'm, I get like 0.00002 cents for fucking Spotify, you know? It's like, who is it? One famous musician that had like, who was it? Free to Frampton. Free to Frampton. He had like 17 million streams and got on 1,500 bucks. 1,500 bucks. I mean, such a ripoff. And these companies are making millions of dollars yeah. on the backs of the artists. And they're charging subscription and this and that. And uh, I think it's wrong. And I heard recently the government stepped in and mandated that uh, Amazon and Spotify they have to up the royalty payout because they're raping um, all music. They are raping. Yeah. And so uh, I know it's important, it's essential, but it really hurts as an artist when you work on a record and it takes you years and you pour your heart and soul into it and you, you work on it. And then all of a sudden it comes out and it's just like, there's no 
wind under the sails because it's already been downloaded and stolen. Yeah. You know, that's the thing. So, so there's pros and cons to this stuff. What's nice is, yes, bands can get themselves out there on social media, but I mean, how real is it though? You have 50,000 likes on your page, but it's virtual. How, how, how real, how real is it? You know, so that's, that's the thing, you know. It's obviously you, you were there, as you said, like 1991 when you first came over here. What do you think have been the, the major differences compared to the market then to now? The market? Kind of like what I just said, the fact that people are lazy now and they don't have to leave their house because they know the show's going to be uploaded the next day on YouTube. That's one of the things that's changed. But the one thing I do see that remains the same is, is that the people that do go to the show, you still have your shirts, you know, you still have, you know, people still like to come and buy stuff if they can. And you have to put on a great show to, to make people come out the next time you come around. Uh, it's fickle, it's saturated, it's saturated. All right, when I started, there was a million bands too. Now it's like a billion. I mean, every, look, you got these kids that don't even bother to take lessons and, and, and learn music theory. They just, they just buy a bunch of expensive equipment, Pro Tools, fake it to make it, yada, yada, you know, and, 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 and all of a sudden they're a musician, they print up a logo and here we are, boom, boom, you know, now it's like a, it's like, it's a lot of fake it to make it, as yeah. I say, a lot of fake it to make it. But I think with a lot of those Pro Tools type bands, if you're watching them live, you can actually see, because if someone's bouncing about 50 times a second and they're not dropping a note, I would be more than a touch suspicious regardless of their level of talent. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, there's a lot of that bullshit. They go up there with tracks. Mm -hmm. They hit the button on the computer and then jumping up and down like a bunch of monkeys. And I agree. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think then might be a way forward, you know, as a solution to the, the apathy that you're seeing at the moment? I don't know. I don't know if there's a solution. I, I don't know what. I don't know. All I know is, is I see amazing, like the, the artists that I grew up with. This is what I say to myself. The artists I grew up with that are, were amazing songwriters are passing away. You know, like yeah. Bowie, yeah, like Prince, like Cornell. And it's like, there is no one to take their place. See, these kids of today, I don't know if they're taking the time to really learn to be how to be a songwriter and learn how to orchestrate and structure and arrange and make a real song with a hook and melody. And you got these kids that just want to go do blast beats and growl and scream and forget yeah, it. It makes no sense to me. And it's a shame because these great artists are passing away one by one. I mean, it's like, you know, we're losing them one by one. I mean, what's, even Ozzy was recently, they had a scare, you know? Yeah. I mean, what happens when one of those dudes die? That's it. That's yeah. it. It's done, right? What happens when Robert Plant passes away? He's old. Yeah. You know, it's sad. It hurt. It makes me sad because it reminds me that I'm getting older. And, and, and uh, uh, the art of creating beautiful music is sometimes... I know there's a lot of talented people out there. I'm not saying there's nobody out there, but I just don't know who's going to take their place. I'm a David Bowie fan. I mean, like, you know... Who's gonna, you know, who, who, 
Brilliant songwriter. Brilliant. Brilliant songwriter. Do, do you think it's maybe a, a partial fault of the labels maybe not taking the hit on the first album or two to develop an artist then? This is the problem, yeah. I feel like a lot of labels, what they do now is, is they try to sign as many bands as they can for next to nothing. And they have this attitude of, if I throw enough shit on the wall, maybe something will stick. Yeah. The idea of art, artist development does not exist. It doesn't exist with managers anymore either. A long, 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 long time ago, managers were supposed to be part of the process of developing the artist. Mm -hmm. Now they just want to like keep you out on the road and make money off of you and your merch. So artist development, which is a shame because even I get frustrated with that where labels do a six week campaign with press and radio and then it's over, you know? And, and so that's sad because sometimes what slips through their fingers, if they would were to invest in one great artist, they would make maybe their money back tenfold. On, on the third, fourth. So yeah, or whatever, you know, instead of signing on 10 bands for, you know, instead of spending, you know, whatever it is, you know, whatever money they get, do spend that much on the one artist that's writing great songs and has the potential to touch people. Because I feel like you need to, you, you, you touch people and then they're going to remember you and get and gravitate and get hooked. You know, throwing out there a bunch of blast beat bands. I don't know if that's going to get you that, that hit. I don't know if that's going to get you that recognition as a, of a, as a label. And now everybody's like, it's like so many labels have closed down the real ones. And now you got these bullshit overnight labels that just make a website and, and it's some kid in his house. And it, more like a distribution service rather than I guess a label. Yeah. yeah. I try not to know too much about that stuff, but I'm, I'm pretty pleased with my label. You know, they've done, they've had the faith in me since day one. They kind of let me do what I want. It's not like what, like even with this last record, when, when, when I, they didn't say we want to hear the music. They didn't say we need to hear demos before we um, give you the money or whatever. No, they have complete faith in me as a, as an artist that they know I'm going to do some good shit. I have that credibility with them from the first record and second yeah. record. And um, even with the second record, they didn't need to hear anything. They just trusted me. Okay. So I'm glad I have that kind of relationship with SPV. And and I know they, they, they're they fond of the band. And when they were very excited, when I mentioned to them, I'm thinking about doing another record, they were like, we must be the ones that put it out. And I'm yeah. like, okay, you know. and. That's cool, you know, that's cool. And it's just tough. I think it's tough for them too, you know. It's tough for a real label to stay afloat with the fact that people are stealing music because when they steal music, they're hurting the label, they're hurting the artist. You know, this is what, and I said it last night, I think, or the night before I said, you know, don't steal music, buy it, buy a physical CD, stop it with this fucking MP3 downloads. Cut it out already with this shit. You buy a CD or a vinyl, you're gonna get all the cool artwork, you're gonna get the lyrics, you're gonna get the pictures of the band, you're gonna get a cool black and green vinyl if you buy the, buy the special edition, which they're no longer available because they sold them out. And, and you know, so you, you can hold something you can hold and then go to the band like last night because we try to make time every night with the fans to sign all the stuff. And then you can have me sign it. I can't sign your phone <laughs> with the stupid picture on there of an album. Yeah. And the fact that people can only buy one song on iTunes instead of buying a whole record, 
Years ago, you had to buy the whole record. Mm-hmm. And that, even if the listener gravitated to that band because of one song, instead of going to iTunes and spending 99 cents and buying that one song, you were forced to buy the whole record, which meant you were forced to hear the rest of the record because you yeah. bought it. Yeah. And then what happens? You discover all the other good songs about that band and you end up falling in love with the whole record, potentially. Yeah. And um, I, I, that's what I'm about. I like, And that's why I think it's brilliant what the record company does with us. Every album they put out, and they had they put it out on vinyl. And for this record, they did like the biggest packaging ever where they released the box set. We did a, they did a box set with the black and green vinyl and, and it came with a hat, a pick, a patch, a sticker, a CD, digipack, and the double gatefold vinyl. Badass. They sold them out like that. It's like, it's a box, it's like this. It's like such a beautiful, mind-blowing presentation. When they sent it to me, I was just like, wow. So, I think that's cool, tangible. You can hold it in your hands and then you feel more, I think you would feel more of a connection with the band, wouldn't you? Yeah. Like, you know, you you get a Windhand vinyl and you're like, yeah, it's, it's fucking real, you know? It, it, it's the sound quality you get from it. It's- uh, two, the sound quality is by far superior if it's on CD or vinyl versus a 300K or 128K. Yeah. Especially 128 These idiots, these kids don't know better what they're missing out because they didn't grow up in the audiophile generation. Now, I grew up with like, you know, you had to have the stereo. You know, you have to have the, the full speakers, system. you have to have everything and turn it up and, and put that CD in or put that vinyl on and, you know, uh, I think that's what's missing. That's part of the fun. You know, I know when I was a kid, man, I couldn't wait for like when a band I liked came out with a vinyl, you know? Like I I, I was, you know, all, all, all those records, you know, whether it was Sabbath, Ozzy or, or Iron Maiden, I just couldn't wait to get that record and hold it and look at it and be like, man, and then put it on. While you're listening to it, you're looking at the artwork and reading the lyrics. There's nothing better than that. Yeah, Vertigo. Well, from the outside of uh, oh wow, yeah. that's badass. So you know, I think it's 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 this is important. Yeah, not this shit, man. Like, oh, I just bought a song, ninety nine cents. Cool. You know, you want to hold that shit and get it signed and feel like you actually connection with the band. That was my favorite part: the inner sleeve. The lyrics and then seeing a picture of the band, like a personal moment in the studio or anything that connects you to the band and you start feeling like you have a, a relationship with them. And, and that that's and I love the resurgence that's happening. There are people now going out of their way to get vinyl. It's yeah. cool. It's cool. I think it's good. I hope these younger kids realize that they're that that's the way to go. That's the way to go. Touching, feeling, holding is a you, you have a connection. There's one thing I've noticed that I DJ in a club in, in addition to all of this. And one thing I've noticed is people that I would not associate, you know, stereotypically going back, say, 15 years when I was you know, first starting out, you'll, you'll look at them and go, okay, they're more like to be in a dance club or R&B. And now they're coming in and they're asking for Linkin Park in one breath. They're asking for Sabbath. They're asking for random chart act A. And the, it's almost like the younger generation have kind of 
They're realizing that the, the ones before them were idiots yeah. and they're coming back. But it's almost like their tastes and what they're into has splintered in every direction from whatever central point. Uh-huh. And whether it's a case of they've heard the parents playing it, maybe growing up. Right. But it's, it's, it's kind of like my daughter. She's eight years old, but she loves the Rolling Stones because it's my wife's favorite band. Yeah. And, and and she likes a lot of this, you know, a lot of a lot of music she hears on the radio, these older music she gravitates to because me and my wife kind of teach her also. Yes, she likes Taylor Swift too. But you know what we did? Bought her the CDs. She listens to the CDs. She she has a she doesn't have MP3. She has a, a, a phone to play around with an iPod, but it's for videos like her cartoons or whatever. But She's already learning and appreciating the, the the idea of good music, and knows that daddy does music, and so she, and knows that she comes a little bit more from a unique situation versus the kids with their regular boring parents with yeah. you know jobs and stuff. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my wife says the same thing that the, the, the little kids now they're gonna go back. Yeah. And realize that the generation before them, the millennials, are freaking idiots. And the ones that are trying to change our countries right, our country right now, is, you know, they're idiots. But do you think it, because there's so much music available now, in a way, it's almost become, uh, it's not for longevity, longevity yeah, it's anymore. Disposable. It's disposable. Yeah. Disposable. Yeah, that's the word, yeah. Yeah. So do you think that's maybe impacting upon the way some people are either producing music or certainly buying it? Yeah, I think so. I think so, because it, 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 nothing has a chance, it seems like, you know? It's throwaway. Everyone has ADD. If you're not in their face every day, they forget you, and it's disposable. Oh, you know, I'll go, and there's another band tomorrow, and there's another band. and Here, let me buy a 99-cent MP3. Yeah, okay, you know? It's just everything's, yeah. Con- We've become such a consumer throwaway society. If you think about it, a long time ago, people used to bring their shoes or boots to the cobbler to fix the sole and replace it so they can continue wearing that shoe. Now, you need to fucking throw them away, buy another pair, right? Years ago, in the old days, you would bring your broken blender or, or, or stereo to the shop and they would fix it. Bring it back home. Mm-hmm. Same thing with the cars. People fixed and repaired and kept their cars. Yeah. Now, even cars are made, built in such a way that they just get... Five years down the line, they're gone. Yeah. yeah. And that's sad, you know, because, you know, this is what cracks me up. You got all these environmentally conscious people, you know, oh, save the planet, save the planet. Yet they're like using Keurigs and coffee pods and throwing them out in the garbage and throwing shit out left and right, plastic cups and it's hypocritical. It really is. It's hypocritical, I think. And, um, uh, you know, look, we are the masters of our disaster. And and we're like I said last night, we haven't learned in thousands of years. We're so stupid. We just can't get it right. And, 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 and it's all based on greed and money, you know, white, it is the way it is because everybody figured that out that if they have a monopoly and keep people from fixing things and repairing things and everything's throwaway they keep selling they keep it's it's that's why the car companies 
now make their cars in such a way that you cannot even change your own oil. Yeah. They don't want you touching the car. Uh-uh. They don't want you to know how to fix the car. They want you to just bring it in. They plug it into the computer. That's it. Ah, you need this. You need this. You need that. Oh, trade it in. Trade it in. Trade it in. You know, get a lease. Uh, everything's temporary. Everything's throwaway. One last question. Sure. Uh, like the stories of the likes of Van Halen uh, demanding one color of M&M on, on the ride and things like that. What's been the strangest or you know, most out there thing either yourself or someone you're aware of first hand as for on a rider? Us? Either yourself or someone that maybe you've talked with. I can't really speak for no one else. I mean, you, uh, back in the day, I used to try to like make sure like that the promoter knew I needed, I wanted weed, you know, like at the, you know, arranged for me, like arranged for me somebody to bring me some weed because I used to be a heavy smoker and all this stuff years ago. And uh, that was always my request, you know. Uh, and I used to tell the tour manager, you know, okay, put, 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 put weed on the rider if possible, you know, or, or always ask for me. And it, that was really it, you know. I, I can't really talk about talk for anybody else, but, you know, Van Halen was the kind of band that could get away with it, you know? They, were, they would do state arenas. And, and, and you see, again, they come from a time when those bands were big anthem rock bands at a level that was beyond what bands get to now. And, yeah. and, and so I guess it's extremely egotistical. I'm not saying it's okay. But, uh, and I think it's kind of ridiculous that you're demanding a certain color or whatever, Eminem. But they could get away with it back then. Just like the Rolling Stones have the power to do things like that too, because they're at a level that is untouchable. I think from what I heard, one of the reasons behind it was uh, making sure technical specification would be read properly. So they knew that if that was done, probably everything else would have been probably taken care oh, of. Okay, I didn't know that. I did not know that. And so that they made sure someone paid attention to the detail. Yeah. Got it. Thank you so much for your time today, Sal. It's been an absolute privilege. What happened? I talked too much. We're done already? (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for checking out today's podcast. Follow, like, and subscribe wherever you hear these podcasts. Also check out Ghost Cult Magazine on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And finally, check us out at ghostcultmag.com. We're out. Peace.